Welcome to Living Martial Arts with Master Ray Gale, aka the Dark Master. Living Martial Arts discuss and examines the everyday exercise, philosophy, and lifestyle of the martial arts enthusiast. The host talks about his own training, past and present, and he also interviews many martial artists to discover how they continue to live their own martial arts journey. Tune in for top tips on how to get the best out of your martial art. Or perhaps you're thinking of starting a martial art. This podcast offers you an easy way to dip your toe in. Sign up for the newsletter at livingmartialarts.com and get regular updates and training tips direct to your inbox. Follow the Dark Master on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Living Martial Arts. Hello to the Living Martial Arts podcast fans. Welcome again. It's the Dark Master here back with another podcast with a very fascinating guest. We have a a mutual friend. And although I've heard a lot about him over the years, all good things, it's really a pleasure to meet Sensi Vince Morris, Ninth Dan. So thank you very much, Sensi Vince Morris, for agreeing to do this. And how are you? I'm fine. It's nice to meet you. Our mutual friend said that you're a good guy, so <laughs> excellent. <laughs> well, I'm not willing to go along with that, but you didn't mention how good looking I was as well, you know. From well, well, I, I, <laughs> it was the shock actually of how. Yeah, 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 I have that effect on people: total shock and disbelief. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, but uh, no, thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it, and uh, you know, the Living Martial Arts podcast is really about people who have a passion for martial arts for all kinds of martial arts you know mm. whether it be mm. grappling or throwing or wh- whatever it is so it's a real pleasure because you've got quite a broad base and you've done a lot of things so yeah. without further ado really i'm just going to ask you to you know tell us a little bit about your martial arts journey how you started and yeah okay oh. and when it gets too boring just you know make faces at me and i'll carry on anyway <laughs> Hey, I'll listen all day. Don't worry. (laughs) Okay, well, I started my martial arts when I was probably about nine or ten years old doing judo. And I used to travel down to, I lived in Sussex at that time, and I used to travel to Portsmouth, the old naval docks area, which was a pretty tough area, as you can imagine. And I used to train regularly with the European lightweight silver medalist, Dennis Penfold. So that developed my love of judo. And after a few years I was a bit rebellious too and I was even then at those days I was playing guitar all the time and singing and shaking my legs and all the rest of it and I was asked to kindly leave school at the age of 15 so I got my guitar in a suitcase and went off to London to track down uh, Charlie Mack who was a very famous judoka the only man to have thrown Anton Heesink in championships. Anyway, I tracked him down to continue my judo, but he couldn't do judo anymore because in his last competition in in uh, Japan, he'd injured his knee. But he was also the first man to be graded black belt in karate as well as judo. So I didn't know what karate was, but he invited me to come and join his dojo. Within a year, I was in his team at Crystal Palace facing Terry O'Neill. 
<laughs> that was good. They, the, the audience thought he'd killed me. He hit me so hard with a kick in the chest. <laughs> I looked down and saw the big footprint. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I gave him that one. He turned out to be a good, very good guy. But anyway, I got into karate and I was still doing my musician stuff. I was in a rock band and then the Beatles came out and that really screwed it for me because suddenly nobody wanted to have individual singers and fronting bands. They wanted a group. And, and I just wasn't a group. <laughs> so I moved into cabaret and did cabaret with a, another guitarist and uh, did that for a while. But then I went to, I thought, well, how am I going to progress my karate now? But also at the same time, I wanted to go to university. So I went to, I didn't take any O-levels or A-levels at all. But I, saw, but I went to the university and took a three-day examination as a mature student. And uh, yeah, they took me in and at the same time joined a dojo where we were, we actually brought uh, Sano Sensei over from Japan to live there in, in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. So I became his, sen- his, uh, his student for quite a long time. Because of that, after I got my first degree, I wanted to stay there. So I took a PhD uh, and I was still based in Nottingham, so I could still train with Asano. He ended up by throwing me out of the dojo, <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> but the first meeting with him was memorable. I, I, he pulled me out straight away for Kumite and hit me in the head with Joe Mawashigeri so hard that uh, I woke up and carried me upstairs to the dressing rooms and put my head under the tap. And then they left me there and went back down. So I got up and thought, oh, sod this. <laughs> so I walked back down and stuck back in the line again. Yeah. Oh, go, you, you, you're not trained now. I said, yes, I paid my 50 pence and I'm training. That <laughs> <laughs> started a long, long, long love-hate. <laughs> anyway, that training was phenomenal. Yeah. Toughest I've ever done in my life. And it was relentless because every Friday night he beat me up. He didn't just do Kimite with me. He, like he did, there were a lot of black belts there, but he soon weeded them out. Many times a lot of them would hide in the toilets or in the showers when they heard him coming up the steps. And yeah. as soon as he was got, they'd go home. But it was the mental pressure was horrendous. I'd go from Wednesdays onwards. I'd be training other nights of the week, but I knew Friday nights he'd, he'd beat me up. Yeah. He'd take others out for maybe a couple of minutes or so. But he'd take me out until other people watching, the other, we'd just look away. They didn't want to see what he was doing. It was regular. Yeah. And also I was asthmatic. <laughs> so, of course, I got asthma. It's hard to fight when you can't breathe. Yeah, but yeah. I never stopped until I fell down. Well, I didn't. I always got up. Yeah. But uh, I remember one day, the pressure was so much that as I lay on the floor, I thought, if I get up again, it's going to kill me because I can't breathe. I can't stop his techniques. But fuck it. So <laughs> I got up. <laughs> well, well <laughs> let, let me ask you a question of that. Now, obviously you know i've trained with some oriental masters and whatever but what i'm asking here is 
did he do that because he was teaching a lesson or because he liked it in the sense that he liked you? Because a lot of the time, (laughs) well, no, seriously, because they want to see, well, actually push you to the limit. Let's see what this. It was a love-hate relationship between both of us because from the very first time that he knocked me out, I vowed he was not going to beat me. I mean, of course he could knock me out again. That's fine, but he'd never stopped me. Yeah. So I always kept getting up. And in the end, after a year or so, he couldn't hit me like he used to because yeah. I was pretty good in that after all that. Self-preservation yeah. made me fast. Yeah, and yeah. at the end of the day, uh, years later, he reached out and tapped me on the chest when we were having a beer. I said, oh, better now, Ned. And, you know, I said, mm. yeah, thanks. <laughs> but <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't think he intellectualized it at all. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I, he was pretty brutal with most people. Yeah. But when you hit back, it was easier. Yeah. Because, yeah. Especially if you could. But of course, the thing was, you never wanted to hit him because he was the sensei. Yeah. So it was a bit unfair, really. But then again, I yeah. don't know. We can easily say, well, he had an ulterior motive for drawing out the best in me and this, that, and the other. But it got a lot worse because he threw me out of the dojo because I was also, by this time, the chairman of the Martial Arts Commission in, in, for all the martial arts in England. Yeah, I, I had, saw it was interesting. Yeah, had to do things like go to Spain to look into the yeah. deaths of one of the... British team that was shot and killed by the Spanish police. And I did all kinds of stuff like that. Mm. Trying to weed out the cowboys from the yes. West, from England. Yeah. But I was also the guy that at the general meetings of the of Asano's group, I was the only one that would stand up and say, well, look, what about this? Because mm. all the others would write to me or email me and say, go on, Vince, you tell him. You say, why? Because just do it. Yeah. So he, they, everyone would have a vote, for example. Sure. The whole meeting was set up. We think we'll have the students will train for 50% less if they're right. legitimate card-carrying students. And everyone says, oh, yeah, bloody good at it. And at the end of the day, Sensi, what do you think? Oh, no, I don't think so. All right, move on. And I think, oh, this is bollocks. So <laughs> I used to go around to his house and... and try and talk to him about a few things. And in the end, he threw me out of the dojo. And uh, then he sent a message saying he only meant it for one day. And I said, well, I'm not your dog. You can't whistle and I'm dumb. No, you know, I'm who you made me. So fuck off, basically. But funny enough, he used to hold the summer camps for all the Japanese instructors and two or three hundred members in my dojo because I run the... Nottingham University Dojo. We won the British Championships a couple of times. And I was made an international for the students, and I won my championship, my fights. And but then one day, it was my dojo that they were having it in. Right. And so I thought, well, because he threw me out of his dojo, I'll be polite and I'll wait to see if I'll ask him. Is it okay if I train in my own dojo? Hmm. Well, anyway. 10 minutes, 20 minutes later, he still hadn't turned up. And the organiser said, oh, look, you've paid your money, come on in. So, all right, I went in, and they're all trying. And then Asano comes in 10, 20 minutes late, and looks around, and he, oh, bitch, you've not rain. I said, yes, I do, I've paid. Oh, 
who said it? Said the organizer. Oh. And that was that. So I stayed. And then afterwards, I thought, you know, I'm not having this. I'm going to face him out. And if it ends up in a fight, it does. Yeah, yeah. So I was there with Kanazawa and Asano and Ochi and Nagai, Mura and all these others. And I just sat there with my arms folded in the corridor right across from Asano. And all the others went. All <laughs> of them just left Asano looking at me. So I got up. I thought, all right, here we go. And I walked over to him and he said, oh, good fun, huh? I thought, oh, fuck it. Oh, yeah, good fun. <laughs> so I sort of took the sting out of that. But I admire him. Yeah, yeah. Hugely admire him because yeah. whatever, for example, I'd go home and I'd sit at the piano and I'd bang out rock and roll tunes and I'd comfort myself with the fact that he can't do this. Yeah, so, <laughs> I'll take a victory wherever I could get it. But I had some great people training with me, Roy Harrison and Aidan Trimble, of course, who eventually, when he got thrown out as well, he asked yeah. me to help him set up his Federation of Shadokan Karate. Yeah. And uh, But the, by this time, I was much more into the, the, dis, the disjunction between kata Yeah. Basics and reality. Well, let me stop you there. Let me ask you about it. because because obviously, I mean, I've you know I've, I spoke to Alfie and I said actually yes, I do I do know Vince Morris. I had students that way back went along and did some, <coughs> some stuff with yeah. you and came back and so on. And Alfie said to me, well, you know, speak to Sensi Morris because you know he makes Tata work. And uh, so what I wanted to, to ask is how did you go from that transition between, you know, doing your kata and thinking, well, actually, this doesn't work. How can I make it work? How did that come about? Well, I to begin with, I used to ask Sensi, Sensi, what's this? And he just hit me on the head. No, just train harder. Yeah. Well, that's no bloody answer. Um, and then when he did his first video of the, Catters, which he did brilliantly, one after another, without stopping. And then he turns around to Paul Mead and me and said, okay, now you do the bunkai. Because he had not one fucking idea about the bunkai. And why should he? He never was taught it. He was twice captain of Takashoka University. That's the toughest karate. It was annoyed as old dojo university. Yeah. But Asano was twice the captain and twice the champion, the, the Japanese champion of it. And he was the toughest bugger you'd ever met, but mm. not, he didn't even know all the catters. He used to go home for a few six weeks holiday and we'd all have bets which catter would he learn while he was there. So that when he came back, we'd do it for the next six months because yeah. he didn't know them. He yeah. knew the basic four or five and a hand, and that was it. Yeah, and yeah. he had no idea of the bunkai. Now, to me, I'm a, I'm, I've got a very logical brain. And, uh, I mean, for example, at university, I ended up teaching Anglo-Saxon in the English department for my professor while mm. I was doing a PhD in Old Norse saga translations, which well, that's another story. But mm. I like... So I, I thought, well, what, where did Kata come from? What was the first examples? What was it there for? And how did it become this display-orientated 
aspect of training. Well, I'm going to cut the story short, but I'm a great avid reader and researcher. So mm. I found out how more or less Qatar started by senses who had five or six students in their back garden in Okinawa. Then they decide to go off to China to learn a lot more. So who's going to look after the students when they've gone? Well, maybe a few visiting instructors, but how are they going to remember what he's been teaching them? So he couldn't write it down and they couldn't read anyway. So he, whoever the master was, would make up a few basic patterns saying, just keep doing this while I'm away and that'll keep you doing the right stuff. Well, of course, it's also a fact if you read their original comments by these masters, they didn't teach everybody the same thing. No. They would teach only their top students the inner side of what they're teaching, which was to include the vital points mm. and the actual effective street versions of the bunkai and others they treat, teach what we call emote the surface level of how you did it and what it was for yeah. and that's basically what's been taught throughout the world since the Jap since karate went to japan but i didn't that didn't sit with me because i knew that wouldn't work in the street mm. and so i took it apart. I just analysed it. I took the old records of, I got to talk. I, we brought people like George Dillman over, myself and three or four other senior European instructors brought him over because we thought, well, this guy's knocking people out and he's doing this, no touch, this, uh, well, mm. now it's no touch bollocks, but at mm. the time it was well, hitting vital points. Yeah, and things. But anyway, after... What was that? Because obviously, you know, Dillman, Dillman was around... Uh, Obviously, sort of eighties and whatever. It was, that was it yeah, in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, I've been doing this for years. Yeah, yeah. And so I started to look into it, and I set up the International Institute for Kyushu Jitsu Research, mm. where all we did was look at the vital points and acupuncture points and meridians and how people seemed to make them work. And mostly, barring one or two things I could talk about. It's, it, there is no such thing as chi, uh, some vital force. There are no such, in fact, meridians were not invented by the Chinese anyway. They were invented by a Frenchman at the end of the Napoleonic Wars. Hmm. There was no such concept of lines, going, of force going through your body called meridians in original Chinese acupuncture. And anyway, the, I don't want to piss off many people, but mm. acupuncture, for example, has been shown that it doesn't matter where you stick your needle, you get the same results. I mean, this is tested and scientifically tested that, and of course, also there's no agreement in the original Chinese manuscripts of where these points actually are, yeah. but it's been proved that, yes, acupuncture might help with pain because it releases endorphins, endorphins rather, and attacks the pain gates. But it has no possible effect on the chi. Or, in fact, the Boxer Rebellion in China had everyone doing iron shirt kung fu to develop the chi protection. What happened? Thousands of them got shot dead immediately. They stuck their heads up. Mm. But anyway, I found that there are certain anatomical and physiological reasons why certain areas of the body actually do have an effect. 
mm. if you attack them or if you rub them. And that's got nothing to do with any vital force. It's to do with mechanics and to do with how the nervous system of the body functions. Right. And I worked on this for a long time. Then I got a chance because I went to, and I started to teach law. When people could see that I could do the knocking down and knocking out without any mumbo jumbo, it really interested them. Mm. So in, in, after a few years, I was actually ended up for 12 years teaching the police in, in Antwerp. Mm. And they, in fact, after a couple of years, they took their um, defensive combat handbook and completely rewrote it to use our techniques. Was that the, was that the, I saw on your website, was that the law enforcement training, Let's, was that? Let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I started that off. Then I went to America, took it to America, I did it in China. Yeah, yeah. Um, trained Virgin Atlantic, Virgin International crew members. Went to teach the president's bodyguards in St. Lucia and it, all sorts of things. And always, I mean, in fact, one police department set up a comparison between Krav Maga and what I was teaching. Mm. And immediately afterwards, they said, all right, we're doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. It simply works, you know. Basically, I suppose what I've done is get rid of the, and then you get the flim-flam merchants that know how to psychologically make people fall down because wish fulfillment and don't want to let the sensi down and they end up doing crazy acrobatics. It wasn't just them, though. How yeah. the sensi of Shotokai is to travel around with him for, uh, for a long time. Yeah, and, yeah. He was a nutcase. He would come up to me and he'd did you, did you feel? no. His yeah. students would run at him and he'd go, what? And they'd leap back across the floor and I'd say, oh, come on. Yeah. The world is full of people that want to be. And it doesn't matter even if you're a sensei, some of them just want to be. Yeah. But the fact is we ended up starting Kisaki Kai because so many people were contacting me and saying, well, where can we learn what you're doing? Well, yeah. the first thing you have to do is get rid of the basic way Shotokan is taught throughout the world. Mm. It's taught as a sport. Imagine this. Two people face each other and you want to teach A to attack B with a punch to the face and you want him to keep moving forward and punching the guy in the face. Now, what's the sense of saying to the guy to B, just step back, five times, let him do it, and only hit him on the fifth time. Mm. Well, and then you say, but, and I'd say, why'd you go back anyway? Why mm. don't you move off to the side and hit him as he goes past? Yeah, yeah. But we don't do it that way. This is to teach you to do this, and when you get good at this, you can change it. They always said it, like Hickety, pulling the fist back. Why? What for? Oh, it adds power. No, it doesn't. You let me hit you. And I won't do hikita, and you see if you feel any difference. Oh, no, we won't do that. But then, you, then people said, well, but when it comes to it, I won't do it. Well, that's, the more times you train badly, the more likely you are to do that bad technique when push comes to shove. Mm. You just get so good at doing it wrong, you automatically will do it wrong. And you try getting a black belt to stop pulling his hand back when he punches. It's almost impossible. Mm. And even Funakoshi said, it's not for that. It's for grabbing people and pulling them when you hit them. I mm. mean, that's Funakoshi himself saying that. 
but they don't care because they it's when it when he took karate to Japan, he came under, as you know, the influence of Jigolo Kano and yeah. the new sport of judo. And he wanted something which was different from judo because of his respect to Kano. Mm. So he didn't put the throws in. He didn't take the throws across with him. Why would he? Kano's doing the throws. Why step on his toes? Funakoshi just did the striking. But to make it more of a sport, he changed the stances, or he and his son Yoshitaka did, so that it were long range and not short stances. Yeah, and yeah. stances which are not mobile so that you cannot stand up mobile and move fluidly about. Um, yeah. All that was changed, and he refused to allow Kumite. First time he saw Kumite in one of his dojo, university dojos, he turned around and walked out. Mm. His students did it behind his back. But in his style, no. There was no Duke Kumite in those days. Yeah. And there was no Bunkai in those days. It was simply... The external demonstration of form and movement. And it's like it became a moving meditation. And yeah. the objective was not to damage an attacker, but to improve your character. Well, that's all well and good. But to me, I thought, no, nah, bollocks. If I'm down a dark alley, I don't <laughs> want to improve my character. I want to really mess up the character in front of me. <laughs> so I took all that away and I said, let's go back to what it was before yeah. it went to Japan. So now we have got rid of Gohan, five-step Kimito. And we've so, got... Can, yeah. can I ask then, sorry, sorry to stop you. Yeah, 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 carry on. So, so can I ask then, when you're, you know, if you get a... a my understanding, because obviously I haven't, I haven't seen your class, my understanding that... You know, when students come in or new students come in, they join you, you know, the class that they would or the system that they would do would be completely different from what you'd expect a normal, not say normal, a mainstream, let's say, a mainstream karate. Well, two things to consider. Yeah. By far, the main number of students that come to join Kisaki Kai are black belts and other systems. Oh, right. the limitations of the other systems. Yeah, yeah. And I take them, I say, yeah, you're still a black belt in yeah. whatever, but you're not a Kisaki black belt because yeah. you have to unlearn the bad habits. But if you're a new student, you're still going to do basics. Yeah, right. Fitness. Yeah. You still have to do the katas, but only well, probably about a dozen kata, the most. Yeah. But when you learn the katas with us, you also learn the first levels of realistic moving applications which work. Right. We will not teach people, well, you do this for 50 sessions, and then after that, when it's got ingrained into you, we change it to this. Well, I don't do that because it doesn't work. Yeah, it, yeah. It, like, for example, we do Mawashiuki, the roundhouse block, right from the word go. Hmm. Look, many schools say, oh, it's too complicated. That isn't it? We have five, five, five and six-year-olds doing it. You've just <laughs> got to show them once and they can do it. Oh, it's not traditional. Well, it's not traditional from 1920s karate, but it is traditional to all the hundreds of years before that. Yeah. So, yes, the, the classes are just as hard. And, in fact, once you get higher up, it's harder because... 
we have what are called the rules of combat, which are, for example, the one rule that we apply in this sort of situation is it's never over until the enemy's down on the ground. Mm. So you don't just go stop, bang, oh, it's all done. Because, no, you might start like that for the first few weeks until you get the techniques under your belt. But then you build up speed and power. And now we've got you put your helmets on and you put your pads on and you're it's not a sparring match. You stand there and it, you have a scenario from the street. And at the minute the attack start bang, you, you're in and you've done it. Mm. And if you haven't done it within three seconds, you've got it wrong. So start practicing again. And that's from all of the different kinds of attacks you get: strangles, chokes, swings, straight punches, hooks kicks, which they're not, that doesn't happen in basic Shodokan until you've got to such a level that they say, well, now you've got all the techniques. But the problem is you've learned the techniques from long stances. You've learned to pull your fist back every time you punch and you've learned to fight statically. Yeah. Well, you say, well, we'll change it now. <laughs> you try that. <laughs> and that's why people like Tiki Donovan had such great success with his Ishin Ryu. Yeah. You look at Ishinru people, the first thing you do is bounce. Yeah, yeah. And you looked at in the day when I was there, if you bounced, and well, look at that idiot. What's he doing? Let's just sweep his feet away. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, you go for that and he just mawashed you in the head. <laughs> oh, no, well, we'll try again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting, you know, things that you say there. I mean, a couple of things that to take from that is the fact that, you know, you learn something and you have to unlearn something yeah, um, yeah. which and is then, what logic is that i know that, I know that but from a music point of view that's really difficult to do <laughs> oh yeah if you've got bad technique in your strumming or your finger picking you'll find if you don't fix it you're going to have that bad technique for life especially if you're in a hurry or you're getting caught away with each oh bollocks no that's not right you know <laughs> i'm like that with the piano i know i should be doing but because we don't like to do basics, we like to get on to the meat. Yeah, yeah. And that's all right, too. But if you think of what is the meat in uh, Shotokan is what I know. I've done other styles, and Asana used to send me to train with Japanese instructors in other arts and styles as well, just to broaden my experience. Mm. But in, in Shotokan, what's the meat? Well, you say, oh, it's kumite, it's competition. Uh, yeah, maybe, but out of any dojo, What's the percentage of people that are going to be successful or really love competition? I'm not talking about kids, I'm talking about adults. Yeah. 5%, 10%. Yeah. Well, less than age group, you know, up till about 30, 35. Then what are they going to do? Hmm. Well, we'll go back to the dojo and we'll go for the meet again. We'll just go around, we'll do Kimite, and wow, we think we're killers. Hmm. Then let's test it. Stand hmm. in front of me, do it to me. See what happens. Throw your punch at me. My, my, my motto throughout the world, and I've travelled from, I used to teach in Kanazawa's dojo in China. I've travelled to Australia, Malaysia, all over the world. And my thing was always, do it to me. Yeah. Do you think I, that works? I've noticed that, actually, because I, I looked on your website and I noticed you, you've got quite an international flavour instructor's Obviously, UK, China, Australia, USA. So, yeah. uh, you know, I can see that, uh, you know, <laughs> that, uh, none of them pay me any money. 
<laughs> it's always the same. We're great, good martial artists, but terrible businessmen. Then you get the other way around, by the way. But anyway, that's another story. Oh, yeah, you do indeed. Yes, yeah. yeah. They won't do it to me. No. Um, I'll tell you a little story about, we, we talked about George Dillman. We had these, we got this little old farmhouse in Scotland. There's about 10 of us from all over Europe. And I was there with my senior student, Dave Hook, and Aidan Trimble as well. And George was moving down the line. We all lined up and he was trying to knock us all out, knock us all out, knock us all out. Came to my, my pal, my student, and he hit him. Nothing happened. He moved on, hit Aidan, nothing happened. Hit me, nothing happened. He went back down the line again. And as he approached my student in a big, loud, sort of under his breath, if he tries that again, I'm going to fucking drop him. <laughs> George didn't try it again. <laughs> what a showman. Yeah, yeah. What a showman. But to be honest, he wasn't totally away from the truth. He just was a liar and a cheat and he stole a lot of his stuff. But he's not the only famous person that's done that. No, no, not at all. Not but at all. The fact is I spent years in law enforcement and I did find out what worked. And what I used to go out with the police. I used to go with them on patrols and warrant, fugitive warrant arrests. I, I once chased, well, I followed a serial killer, Charles Ng, right throughout the Rocky Mountains and... Catch him in the end because he escaped to Canada. But I had a lot of stuff going on where, if what you taught was, you'd end up in a grave somewhere. Mm. And a lot of my officers were very clear that it helped. Um, mm. Even recently, I had a guy who wrote to me about one of his students who'd seen one of my techniques on video, mm. and she was attacked by a six foot six football player size convict in prison and mm. she did the technique and broke his collarbone put him down right right yeah yeah and, and she's just a five foot nothing girl mm. these techniques work they do not everything's a matter of size to some extent but not really it's a matter of what power can you generate with what you've got yeah and are you accurate in delivering it to the right place i mean for example a finger in your eye you don't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger to stick your finger in somebody's eye. No. That's going to work whoever you are. And the reality of combat is technique, the right technique, and also the rules of combat. For example, Shotokan or most karate stars, when they've got the yoi position, the ready position, you know mm. what it looks like? Yeah, yeah. Stand there with your hands down by sides. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. all you're ready for is to get a punch in the mouth. Yeah. You know, if I stand close to you mm. within touching distance yeah. and your hands are down, you're mm. either going to get head-butted or I'm going to hit you before you can get your hands up. Yeah. So we know that. So the first thing we did in Kisaki class, that's not a mm. ready position for us is your hands are here like this, open yeah. or closed if you want, but not, you know, come on, let's fight. Yeah. And we put the hands in a position, for example, we leave a space. We do the spider to the fly. Most people are right-handed, so we, we look to see if the guy's left foot's forward. If it is, that means he's right-handed, probably, mm. and he's going to throw his right fist. So we encourage it, but when we talk, we leave the gap. We, yeah. we encourage it, and then we know what he's going to do. He can't, poof, 
It's yeah. like the spider to the fly. And you don't have to be a big guy to do that. You've just got to be intelligent and to know your training. Yeah. And that's what we base Kisaki Kai on. No, that, that, that's good. Well, some people listening well, might want to take a look at this and perhaps we can put, definitely put some links into in the show notes to, to some of the books and so on. But is there any particular, apart from getting along and training with you, which is, or yeah, yeah. Schools, is there anything you can recommend? Yeah, um, organise a seminar in your dojo. Okay, okay, um, well... We'll put some links to that. Yes. But the other thing is people should see what I'm doing. Mm. And if they go to uh, go to my Facebook page and mm. track down and see some of the things that we've put on there, just a Vince Morris Facebook, right. and or go to the website and look at the in the shop section, look at how many we've sent stuff out on USBs these days as well as DVDs and there's books and they can look at those and they can follow it up you know we can send them examples of what's in these things I often have promos video promos which cover those particular DVDs and USBs just email me or come onto Facebook and ask me and I'll send them stuff because I my life is more or less it's always been in the search for truth and getting rid of now if anyone knows a better way of doing what i do please tell me i don't i'm not proud so many people have ripped off what i do i mean you hear people talking about bunkai all the time back in the late 70s early 80s you never heard that no i was on the front cover of combat magazine um excuse me set that's all right that's one of my songs Oh, don't worry. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry about that. That's all right. But I was on the front cover of Combat, you know, Pioneer or Pirate. Yeah, yeah. Because, and everyone, I mean, I even had the people who hardly believe this, but one show, one magazine did an interview with one of their black belts that came to my seminar. And when I saw it, I thought, this is... Because at the seminar, the guy was saying, this is amazing. This is... It works. And when I read the article in this pretty famous, and it's still going today, magazine, mm. it doesn't work. Vince Morris can't do it. And as I was reading it, the supposed writer of this article phoned me and said, I didn't write this. The editor has changed everything I've said. Mm. So I had to threaten the editor with suing him, and he admitted, he said, oh, I don't know how that happened. All the positives turned into negatives. Oh, dear. So he had to write a big retraction in the next edition. But that guy's still going today. So people were afraid of it because even world-class, world champions Mm. do not understand why they do the techniques they do. And they don't understand the limitations of their kumite because, for example, my friend Aidan Trimble, or Terry O'Leary, if you like, you could put them anywhere and attack them with anything and they'd probably win because they're phenomenal human beings and superb 
martial athletes, but in the great world out there, how many cops are like them? Yeah, how many be. Filipino airline stewardesses are built like that? Mm. How many people over the age of 50 or 60 can do those huge, wonderful kicks? Mm. Martial art, com it was originally to defend against attackers. Mm. And it didn't say you had to be between 25 and 35 and able to leap over tall buildings mm. to be able to do it. It yeah. didn't happen that way. So my life's work has been guided towards the normal person being effective in street combat. I'm not interested in what you do as a bouncer. I mean, I know that. I know what happens there, and I know how it works, and you've normally, if you're lucky, you've got a, a friend or a couple of guys there to help you and this, that, and that. But, you know, I go out in Los Angeles with a police officer at night. Yeah, yeah. Crips and bloods, just him. And me, I thought, yeah, you know, that's a different way of looking. Yes, he's got a gun, but you just can't shoot everybody. Yeah. Everything has to work. And if you go back in time, you don't think that the original sensei, look, think of Matsumura, who was the chief sensei to the bodyguards of at least three kings at Okinawa. Do you think he ever did anything because it looked good? Mm, yeah, yeah. Was he interested in anything that didn't work? Mm. No. But if you're going to be the chief bodyguard to three kings, you've got to make it bloody work. And the original people who learned from him learned that way. But then it changed and they took it into the school system. Itozu took it into the school system. And he said, all right, he developed the five hand kata. Yeah, okay, we know that. But you tell me the difference between any technique in the Haiyan kata compared with the original kata that it came from. People don't know. What you see in the Haiyan katas are mostly taken from Kanka, Dai, Vasai, Dai, blah. Those katas already existed. Mm. He just took bits and He didn't invent new moves. He took them and put them in a sequence. But he never taught the original combat skills. Why yeah. would he? He's teaching teenage kids and young kids. He wouldn't do that. But that's the type, if you think, he then taught Funakoshi. And yes, Funakoshi had other teachers as well. I'm not trying to denigrate Funakoshi. But yeah. then you look at what um, uh, Mutobi, Toki Motobu, said about him. He said, it's just uh, the worst thing in the world is to teach a martial art that's not effective in real combat. Mm. Yeah. He hated Funakoshi for what he was teaching. He said, it only looks like the real thing. Now, I am in, I'm a passionate believer in if I'm going to spend my life doing something and teaching it to other people, it's got to be the real thing, as best as I know it. Yeah. And as I said before, if you know a better way, I'll take it and say thank you very much. If you will show me how I can make it better for some unarmed person to defend themselves against an attacker with a knife or a gun, because we often we do a lot of gun work as well, because you have to these days, and we have the protection, we have weapons of fire, uh, simunition-type stuff. So you know if it works or not, because you can't move a gun away from your head. you get shot first. No, you won't. Mm -hmm. We improve it. 
We don't do anything without proof. Mm. And the problem is so many people are in their comfort zones that they really can't make the break to come step outside of it. Because it's, I, I, I remember, I'm sorry this is going on, but <laughs> I was in Canada talking to the five times Canadian Qatar champion. And I said to him, yes, well, all right, that's brilliant. You do superb Qatar. What's the meaning in the case? Oh, I don't know that. Hmm. I said, are you telling me you're the five times world champion doing something that you don't understand? He really got pissed off with me. <laughs> a year later, yeah, you're right. He said, that's remarks, Dave. He said, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you are. But it's a real shock to some people. Mm. Um, what can I say? Look, oh, no, I, I no, pretend no. I'm, the, I'm not the best in the world. It's just I do what I can. And I'm yeah. 78, for Christ's sake, you know, so I've slowed down a smidgen. We're sort of coming to the end of the, the, the podcast, but like I said, I will, uh, you know, people listening to this, look at the show notes. We'll put some stuff in there. So you can hang around just after this and I'll just have a quick chat. But um, um, hopefully we'll, we can do this and do more again. Oh, um, I'm happy to. And we can concentrate on more like particular aspects because I've yeah. hardly touched anything yet. Yeah, no, um, yeah, that, that'd be great. That'd be great. No, I, I, well, I, I appreciate your time and I respect your time. And, uh, you know, I want to say thank you very much for taking the time to, uh, you know, give us your, your, your knowledge. Yeah. I'll, I'll, just, yeah. I, I'll talk to anybody that's a genuine person, that's genuinely interested and uh, doesn't have a, their own little flag to wave. You know, I'm not interested in egos. I just want what I do to work. It's as simple as that. Uh, that's it. So I'm happy to talk to you again anytime because you've been a great interviewer. Th th thank you very much. I'm going to um, yeah, just stay on the line for a moment. I'm going to say thank you to the Living Martial Arts Podcast fans. I hope you've enjoyed this fantastic episode with Sensei Vince Morris. Yeah. I hope you'll be back again and we can perhaps talk about some more stuff and dig a bit deeper. They might ask you some questions to ask me. You know, yeah, so. definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll, and again, send them in. Send them in. Any questions will be great, gratefully received. So, thank you very much. I'll catch you soon. It's, uh, it's my pleasure. Talk to you again. Thank you very much.